names in Judaism are very specific and they always imply what the core and the essence of something is all about, specifically the name of a parasha. That's supposed to tell us what the main theme of the parasha is, which makes this parasha so ironic. Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. But it starts off by telling us about her passing. And the main themes of the story all seem to be antithetical to her life and her value system. So there's a conversation around buying her burial's plot. That's not the life of Sarah. And the fact that Yitzchak is comforted over the loss of his mother when he marries Rivka. And the return of her nemesis, Hagar, now under the name Keturah, and even the acceptance of Yishmael into the fold in some respect, all seem to undermine Sarah's legacy. Although that's exactly the point. A real tzaddik lives beyond their physical life. It's the legacy that they leave. It's the way that they inspire us to think. And what we'll discover is that each one of those stories, in fact, illustrates everything that Sarah stood for, which is the integrity of and the greatness of and the uniqueness of the Jewish people specifically. With regards to the names given to parishes, it's not just a phrase, a unique phrase from the first couple of words of the parasha. The name of the parasha is supposed to encompass the entire theme and the main thrust of the parasha. Which must apply now in our parasha as well. In the name Chayasara, you must be able to encapsulate the entire theme of the parasha. That's incredibly strange. Not one of the stories recorded in this parasha occurred while Sarah was alive. In fact, they all happen, and as we'll see, they could only have happened after Sarah passed away. Not only did they practically happen after Sarah had passed away, so how do you call that Chaya Sarah her life? But the messages that they convey, the themes of these major events of this parasha, all seem to be absolutely antithetical to what Sarah lived for. Let's unpack that. The parasha opens with Avram Avinu looking to purchase a burial plot, which lands up being Maras Machpelah on behalf of Sarah. So that surely undermines her life. How do you call that? Chai Sarah. The next story in the parish is the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka. The parasha tells us clearly, once Rivka entered Yitzchak's life, he was finally comforted for the loss of his mother. And Rashi tells us, because that's what happens when a person marries, they feel consolation for having lost their own mother or another parent. The third theme of the parasha is even more so antithetical to Sarah's life. Avram Avinu remarries. He remarries almost like Sarah is replaceable, and especially when you consider who he remarries. And then as a direct consequence of that, then we have the whole legacy of Yishmael. That is really the exact opposite of what Sarah Imenu lived for. Sarah's attitude was, drive away Hagar and Yishmoel. Don't bring them into the family. Here Avram Avinu is reintroducing them into the family. So how can you say that there is a theme? How can you say that the entire theme of this parasha is Chayi Sarah when it talks about such 
stories that totally seem to undermine the value of and the purpose of her life. So in order to understand it, we first have to qualify what does it mean for a tzaddik to live. To explain this, we'll look at what the Gemara tells us and what it means by its statement. The Gemara suggests that Yaakov Avinu never passed away because just as his descendants are alive, so he lives on. Meaning that true life is life that goes beyond the three score and ten that a person lives on earth. Eternal life that outlives the physical body is only something that a great tzaddik who is connected to Hashem could achieve. Why? Because if you're connected to Hashem, Hashem is Hashem is the real source of life and the real source of eternity. Like the Pasuk tells us, Hashem is true, and therefore He is the God of life itself. To which we're told, if you cleave to, if you connect yourself to Hashem, then you are truly alive. So a tzaddik who is connected to Hashem is alive in a way that is beyond the physical years of their sojourn on earth. From which we can understand, at which point in the story do we detect that Yaakov Avinu has real life, the life that is eternal? which is an indicator that his life is a holy life and therefore connected to Hashem and therefore eternal. Where do you see that? You see it when there is actually a tangible uh, expression <coughs> of this eternal life. Once his soul has left his body, if I can still see ongoing life, then I know he's achieved Chaim Nitzchim. Where do I see it? Where do I see it? I see that after Yaakov Avinu has passed away, his legacy, his children, his descendants are alive, and not just in the physical sense, the breathing sense, but in the sense of commitment to the same values and passion for the same connection to Hashem. How do we know Yaakov is alive? Because his children, grandchildren, etc. are living the life that he lived. So we know that from Yaakov Avinu. We'll apply, apply it now to Surah. We can apply the same logic to sorry. If we're going to say Exactly opposite to what you would naturally think. You'd think refers to when she's alive. Actually, how do I know that Sarah ever lived because of what happens after she passes away? When we can see the influence of Sarah Imenu's life after she's no longer in this world, which means that her positive and holy influence on the world continues beyond her physical life. Now we can say that the 127 years of her life was real life that continues to live. Life that deserves the title life, Chaim Amitim Shel the real life of Sarayimenu that extends beyond her days on earth. Now, once we understand that, that means we're now looking in the parasha when we say Chayesara, <coughs> we're looking for things that illustrate that Sarah's influence and her legacy continues in a healthy, strong way. The easiest of the four chapters of the parasha to explain now will be the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka. Because now we detect that Yitzchak, who is Sarah's child, her descendant, 
If he lives, if he lives in the same way as Sarah lived, with the same values and the same priorities that Sarah had, and not only does he live that way, but he chooses for himself a wife who lives with those same values, Rivka. How do we know that she lived with the same values? Kamoisha Kosa, the Pasik tells us, Literally, that means that he brought Yitzchak into his mother, Sarah's tent. But what does it really mean? She entered the tent and it regained the spiritual experience, the atmosphere that it had while Sarah was alive. All the miracles of Sarah's life, the fact that the candles remained lit from one Shabbos to the other, that there was a special brocha in the dough that she would produce challah from, there was some kind of a cloud over the tent, all of that now perpetuated through Rivka's presence. So Rivka keeps Sarah's life alive in the house that Yitzchak's now making. This is evidence to the fact that Sarah's life continues. Sarah is personally not present, but Sarah's life lives on in Yitzchak and Rivka. That is exactly Chai So that was an easy one, and it helps us to understand how you could call this Chai Yisarah. But as we'll discover, it's not going to be enough of an explanation. So the first problem is that only resolves how we can see the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka as being an extension of Sarah's life. But that doesn't help us to understand why Hagar is back and why Yishmael and his family are all listed in a parasha that's associated with Sarah. But besides that, The truth is, most of the parasha doesn't describe the actual wedding or the married life of Yitzchak and Rivka. Most of the parasha is Eliezer and all his internal and external negotiations around finding a wife. So his internal processing of how he's going to work out who the wife should be, and then telling the story to her family in order to negotiate that she should come and marry Yitzchak. So that seems a bit odd, because surely we should be focused on the marriage, not the run-up to the marriage. So, Metzios says Rivka, the story how he discovered Rivka, and then after that he went, and he, she told the story to Basul, then he told the story until eventually he got them to agree to the marriage. Why is that relevant if it's Chaye Sarah? How does that show us that Sarah's life continues? So, to understand that, we'll first look at the first story in the parasha, which is Avram Avinu's negotiation to get Maris HaMachpelah as the burial place for Sarah. So when we examine that story of buying the burial plot for Sora, there is something that needs our attention. It is strange that the whole interaction or a lot of the attention that we give to purchasing Chevron and Marisa Machpelah should be about the business negotiation, price negotiations, should he, they give us the place, etc. Besides the detail that is given to the negotiation, there's another question. It's, it's a question of Avraham Avinu's approach. Avraham Avinu starts the conversation with Bnei Ches by saying, I'm both a stranger and a citizen amongst you. And Omer Chazal, to which Chazal explains that he was giving them, in a sense, an ultimatum. If you go about this in an appropriate fashion, I will be respectful and almost like a stranger. 
But vim love, if you don't play ball, then I will walk in like a citizen. It's my land. And I'll take the the property away from you with my legal basis. On the basis that Hashem promised this land to me. Now, it really doesn't seem to make sense. What's, what's his argument here? What's his logic? Once Avraham Avinu tells us, correctly so, that he had legal backing to be able to take this land because Hashem had promised it to him, why then did he even offer to pay? And not only to pay, but to pay top dollar. It's my land. Why am I paying for my land? And why would he even suggest it? There's a possibility that I'll act as if I don't belong in this land. Why do that? It's your land. You own it. Take it. Number two, on the other hand, how in fact could he have argued that it's mine legally? It wasn't actually yet his. It was promised to him, but he had not yet made an illegal acquisition of this land. All he really had was Hashem's promise that at some point in the future, Hashem says, I will give your descendants this land. So the entire approach that Avram uses seems a very strange approach. It seems weak on both ends. And just talking about Marasamachpeda, let's jump to the end of the parasha because there's another strange element there. When it comes to the time that Avram Avinu passes away and now has to be buried also in Marasamachpeda, the Torah tells us Yitzchak and Yishmoel participated in the burial. The fact that the Pasuk says Yitzchak first tells us that Yishmoel did some level of teshuva, and now acknowledged that, y- that Yitzchak belongs in front, and he allowed Yitzchak that, so to speak, that position, that right. So why is it that the Torah, if it is going to hint at the fact that Yishmael did teshuva, why does it only hint at that fact after Avram Avinu has passed away? Don't we already know, in fact, we saw it in last week's parasha, that Yishmael did Teshuvah before Avram Avinu passed away. That was the promise that Hashem gave Avram at the Brisbane Abbasarim, that you will be buried at a, or you will pass away at a time of a good old age. And the, the emphasis on good is that you'll see Yishmael do Teshuvah. So if Yishmael has done Teshuvah before Avram Avinu passed away, why are we only discussing it after Avram Avinu had passed? Now to answer all of these questions, what we really need to look at is the difference between Avram Avinu's role as a forefather and Sarai Menu's role as a matriarch of the Jewish people. There's a very stark distinction between Avram and Sarah with regards to their descendants. If you look at Avram, just reading the story at a surface level, he was not only a father to Yitzchak, he had two sons, one of which was Yishmuel. That's why when Hashem says, take your son, it, he said, which one? You know, your only son. And he said, one is uh, only to this mother and one is only to that mother. The one you love, he said, I love them both. In fact, from a practical perspective, Yishmuel was his firstborn. So in Avram Avinu's world, there are alternatives. There's Yitzchak or potentially also Yishmuel. That's why Davin's for Yishmuel. 
which means that Avram Avinu is not only the forefather of the Jewish people, but other nations too. In fact, that's what Avram Avinu was told by Hashem himself, you will be a father of many nations. So, at face value, Avram Avinu is not uniquely the father of the Jewish people. He has many nations that stem from him. Compare that to Sarah. Sarah had one son, one Yitzchak, which means that her only connection to any nation is uniquely and exclusively to the Jewish people. Now, this is critical information, and that's why this entire parish is actually quite a foundational parish because it helps us understand attitudes about the Jewish nation, who we are, and how Hashem sees us. Now, because they have these very big differences in their, their, their life, their, their uh, dynasties, Avraham Avinu has a wide dynasty and Sarah has a narrow, focused dynasty. Avraham Avinu has many nations, Sarah is only the Jewish people. That plays into the difference in how they served Hashem. Avram, we know that Avram was an activist and he was out and about and he spread the word of God and the acknowledgement of Hashem all over the world. Avram uses the expression that wherever Avram went, he had a methodology that he used to get people to express and acknowledge Hashem in the world. Not only to decent people, but even to Arabs who bow down to the dust of their feet, which is an allusion to the fact that they worship themselves, if, if not something else. And what's interesting also is that Avraham Avinu was, was, he was focused on getting this short-term success. So you acknowledge Hashem today. We don't know what's going to happen down the line. And he wasn't apparently even concerned with that. Now that's completely different to From the moment Yitzchak Avinu was born, Sarah became laser focused that all of her efforts and all of the Kedusha that she brought into the world only directed in one direction towards Yitzchak, towards the most appropriate channel for Kedusha in this world. Okay, as is alluded to in various places, and discussed elsewhere. So we're not going to go into the detail now. What is relevant to us is because Sarah Emenu was absolutely laser-focused. So for that reason, even the way she dealt with Avram Avinu's other son is testament to where her focus was. Her attitude was, Yishmael's got to go. He doesn't belong here. He cannot share the inheritance with Yitzchak. He is Toxic. He's got to go. Not only did she want it, she got it. Yitzchak, uh, sorry, Yishmael was sent out of the house. Even though it was painfully difficult for Avram Avinu to do, it happened. So Avram Avinu is a very broad kind of influence, and Sari Menu is a very focused kind of influence. Avram Avinu sent or spread awareness of Helikos everywhere. That's why it was so difficult for him to send Yishmael away, because now Yishmael's out of reach, he cannot influence him. 
Not only does he want Yishmael in his orbit, but he even davened on Yishmael's behalf, and he succeeded, and Hashem says, I've heard what you've asked for with regards to Yishmael, and I'm going to grant it to you. And even the Zayar complains and says that, that that's caused us a lot of tzoros ever since. And this is the pivot on which we're going to build the entire argument of the Sicha. As far as Sarah is concerned, you cannot begin to compare Yishmuel and Yitzchak. They are completely different worlds. To her, it's absolutely clear. Yishmuel's got to go. Goresh, send him. Send him as far away as possible. He has no place near Yitzchak. Meaning to say, Yishmuel cannot receive what Yitzchak stands to receive, what the Jewish people stands to receive. It's reserved for the Jewish nation. It is not wholesale. Now that theme is going to play right through all of the chapters of this week's parasha. This key theme that Yitzchak and by extension the Jewish people are completely unique and have an exclusive relationship with Hashem is what comes through in all of the stories in this parasha as Chaye Sarah. Sarah's life, legacy, perspective lives through all of these stories. So let's start at the beginning. The first story is the story of purchasing a burial plot. Prior to this story, the people buried in Marasamachpela are Adam and Chava, the first humans who, ostensibly, are the progenitors of every single human. Accordingly, logic says, okay, if that's the case, Marasamachpela, which contains Adam and Chava, should be a universal. Uh, United Nations heritage site that every single nation should be able to claim some kind of connection to because we all come from Adam and Chava. It's not a specifically Jewish thing. It shouldn't be a Jewish holy site. And yet we find that Avram Avindu wanted that this should be the place to bury Sora and that he should own it. And at that moment, Avram Avinu shifted it, that it became the beginning of a process by which Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Leah would all be buried in that place and would now ha- it would have an exclusively Jewish value because it's our patriarchs and matriarchs who are buried there. And that's what he wanted. Which would in turn illustrate that yes, Adam and Chava are the biological forebears of the entire human race, but the purpose of an Adam and Chava is to produce a Jewish nation who are in a class of their own and completely unique, different to every other nation on earth. And Avramovin is now illustrating that by saying, let's take Maras and from being a universal heritage site and turn it into a Jewish holy site. There's our first indicator of Sarah's message coming through. Yitzchak, by extension the Jewish people, are in a league of their own. The next story takes the theme up a notch. What's the next story? Avram Avinu sends Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak. In the first story, okay, we have the entire world all feeling some affinity to Moras and Machpelah, and we're going to change that and make a radical statement. Actually, it has a unique relationship, uh, a value to the Jewish people. But those are people who, so to speak, are the periphery. 
Our next story is about somebody who has a personal relationship with and a student relationship with Avraham Avinu. Even those who have a relationship with Avraham Avinu, and so maybe you would think are not so uh, extremely different to the Jewish people, here comes the message. Oh, no, no, you could be close to Avraham Avinu, but you're not Jewish. One of the reasons he's called Damesek Eliezer is because Avram Avinu's servant Eliezer was somebody who literally, so to speak, mined the wealth of Avram Avinu's wisdom and shared it with other people. He shared the Torah with others. He's like the, the student par excellence. And what do you see in our story, in our parasha, that Hashem does miracle after miracle for Eliezer, because now he's a representative of Avram Avinu, so he deserves all these incredible miracles. You can tell that there's a very strong connection between Eliezer and Avram. To the extent that our sages tell us that look how much time and attention the Torah gives to Eliezer's talk about finding Rivka and the miracles that happened to him, that it shows us that the narrative of the ordinary servant of the patriarchs is in a sense more valuable than the Torah that we as the Jewish nation were given. So all of that points to how great a person Eliezer was and still, Lachrei Kol Zois, Still, when Eliezer had the notion that maybe his daughter would be suitable for Yitzchak, Avram rejects it outright. Because he said, look, my son is blessed by Hashem, your children are cursed by Hashem, and the two cannot connect. That means to say, it means despite all of the incredible accolades that Eliezer deserves, rightly so, all you have to know is as great as Eliezer is, he doesn't begin to scratch the surface of who Yitzchak was. If you had to compare Eliezer, this incredible human being who at that point in history was probably known as one of the most pious individuals, Compared to Yitzchak, it's like comparing a cursed person to a blessed person. Exactly Sarah Imenu's philosophy. There is nobody like Yitzchak, and by extension, nobody like the Jewish people. That theme continues through the parasha. Towards the end of the parasha, we get another, even higher angle on the story. Up until this point, we're talking about people who have no biological connection and did not grow up in Avram of in his home. But later in the parish, we're going to see that Yitzchak and the Jewish people stand out so starkly, even compared to Avram of in his own descendants. To the extent that other descendants of Avram of Inu, they, they don't even feature. Where do we see that? Because when the Torah tells us that Avram Avinu remarries, and who does he remarry? A woman called Keturah. And then she bore him various sons. Nehemiah the Torah concludes that story by saying, that in spite of the fact that he now had a whole lot of children, Avram Avinu gave everything to Yitzchak. There you have it again, the exclusivity. Yitzchak is in a class of his own. But if now Pilagshim Goimer and the other children, Nosna Avram Atonis, he gave, Avram Avinu gave him gifts, and he sent them away. 
So there you have it. Yitzchak is in a class of his own. Similarly, when we're told about Yishmael's descendants, in spite of the fact that the Torah tells us these are the descendants of Yishmael, who in turn is the son of Avram, straight away the Torah gives a disclaimer. Oh, remember who Yishmael is. He is the son of the maidservant. Straight away, the Torah again makes this huge distinction. Yishmoel, everything that he represents and all of the descendants who will emerge from him, all belong to the category of Sarah's maidservant, whereas Yitzchak is Sarah's son. Same theme. It keeps emerging again and again. Sarah's dream that people should recognize that Yitzchak is in a class of his own, and by extension, so are his descendants, the Jewish people. This is, by the way, why when the Torah wants to allude to the fact that Yishmol did Teshuvah, it specifically pegs it to the story of Avram being buried and tells us after the story. And the specific way in which the Torah illustrates that Yishmol had done Teshuvah is the fact that he allows Yitzchak to go ahead of him. What is the main issue that Yishmael had? What, what was bad about Yishmael, so to speak? Why is it that in that time he had to be sent away together with Hagar? It's because, as Rashi tells us, his argument, Yishmael's argument against Yitzchak was, I'm the firstborn and I'm getting the double portion, meaning to say, I carry the legacy of Abraham Avinu which means that he denied what was, in fact, the truth. What was the truth? That he was the son of a maidservant, and halachically, the child of a maidservant has no inheritance rights. So who deserves the inheritance, the legacy of Avraham? And Yishmael had this upside down. He felt that he deserves the rights to something that really he had absolutely zero right to. And therefore, that's why Sarah Emenu immediately says, chase him out. Because this Yishmael is not going to inherit, there you've got that key word again, together with my son with Yitzchak. So because his issue was rejection of Yitzchak's position in the family, that's why where will we see his tshuva? Firstly, we'll see it in the story of burying Avram Avinu. Dafka after Avram Avinu has passed away, because that's when you start looking at inheritance, and that's when you determine who the heirs are. So if it's at this point in time where now it's, crunch time and we've got to decide who the heir is and Yishmael steps back that is called Teshuvah because his whole issue was that he wanted to claim inheritance that he didn't deserve therefore second point how would Yishmael illustrate this Teshuvah by pushing Yitzchak ahead of him and saying I am not the Bechor you are the one who deserves to be in the front line that means that Yishmael acknowledged the truth he acknowledged that Yitzchak is the heir and therefore is the one who has the priority responsibility to bury Avram Avinu. And he is just a second fiddle or less. He is the maidservant's son. 
which helps us now to understand how a parasha called Chaye Sora could speak about themes which we initially thought were opposite of that message of Chaye Sora, but now we see it all really does make sense. Here's where we see what Sarah Imenu succeeded in doing, successfully getting her life story to sustain, to continue into the next generations. What is Sarah Imenu's ultimate life purpose? To illustrate the stark difference between Yitzchak and Lahavdil Yishmoel, which means by extension between the Yidden and the rest of the world. Let's take it deeper. As we well know, the reason the entire world was created, which includes the population of the world, is for the sake and purpose of the Jewish people. The only reason they were created was to facilitate us being able to do what Hashem wants. Which brings a harsh perspective if there's any facet of the world, including people, who do not support the Jewish nation doing what Hashem expects of us, they don't actually deserve to exist. Because they're now going contrary to what the reason for existence is. So how can you possibly claim to deserve to exist if you're working against the purpose of existence. By the way, parenthetically, this helps us to understand what might seem to be quite a jarring and surprising law about the Sheva Mitzvah, the Noachide Code. When you think about it, the Sheva Mitzvah may appear to be for the benefit of those nations, but actually, they're actually there to help to facilitate the Jewish people and the purpose of Torah. So we could fulfill Torah mitzvahs. In order for us to be able to do Torah mitzvahs, which is to be able to imbue this world with a divine energy that is way beyond what the world should be able to accommodate, that can only happen if the world is in a position to absorb that energy. The world has to be prepared. And that's the purpose and the achievement of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach. It makes the world a sustainable environment that is suited to receive this divine energy that's going to flow into it. And therefore, here's the jarring part. If a Ben Noyach transgresses one of their mitzvahs, it doesn't matter which mitzvah, in other words, you might scale it as a severe transgression versus something which is a less severe transgression, doesn't make a difference. Such a person would deserve to be uh, you know, to, to lose their life, to lose their entire mitzvahs. Which basically means that if a person is not doing what they were created in order to do, then they just simply don't deserve to continue to exist because you were created to fulfill a particular purpose. You're not fulfilling that purpose, so we discard you. So if that is the reality, if the reality is that the entire purpose of the entire world, including all of its inhabitants, is to support our avoider, to bring Kedusha into the world and to make a dirvatachtonim, this is something we should be able to detect right from the first Jew. 
And we will figure that that theme is not only generically um, part of the story of Abraham Avinu, but it's specifically in Chayisara. In fact, it plays out in all the three examples that we have given. The first place we see it is with the negotiations about Maras Machpelu, where Avram Avinu says, He says, you have, a, you have a choice. Either if you behave nicely, I'll behave nicely too. Or if you don't, I'm just going to take everything because I deserve it anyway. What's he saying over here? He's telling them, you understand, you're living in a land that is not just another country. From the beginning of creation, Eretz Yisrael is the unique place on earth that was created with the purpose of giving it to the Jewish people. Why did Hashem then allow the Canaanites to be there first? It's because Hashem had a particular goal that he wanted to achieve, namely to give it to them and then take it from them to give it to us so that we'd recognize that he wants us to have it. How does Hashem give the land to us? It's not just like a one, one momentary shift of land from the Canaanites to the Jewish people. There are time releases. Certain parts of Eretz Israel were due to become Jewish property at different times, and some only in the time of Moshiach. So, <clears throat> the bulk of Eretz Israel would only become Jewish land at the time of the conquest of Yeshua. In fact, there's a warning that if you would go into Eretz Yisrael prematurely, you'd be overrun by the wild animals who live there. And not only was there a time frame when Eretz Yisrael becomes ours, but there was also a method we had to conquer it using force. Whereas, Maras HaMachpele is unique. It had to become the possession of the Jewish people, in this case, Avram Avinu, prior not only to the conquest, but even prior to the formation of the Jewish people. In order to facilitate that, Avram Avinu had to purchase it from the Bnei Ches. Now we understand what Avram was telling them. Why he gave them, so to speak, ultimatum. Either you be nice and I'll be nice, or if you dig your heels in, I'm just going to take it with my legal rights because Hashem has promised it to me. What's he trying to say? He can't actually invoke a proper legal statute in this case. He's telling them something more profound. If you fulfill the purpose for which Hashem allowed you, B'nai Ches, to own this land currently, why did Hashem allow you to own it? In order that you should fulfill your part of the mission, which is to sell it to me. If, so if you play ball, as I are any girl, then I'll play ball as well and I'll buy it from you like as if I was a stranger coming to buy a piece of land. Same concept. If you look more broadly, the whole purpose of the entire world is that we should be able to service Hashem's goal to make this world into a dwelling place. The whole world is here to support Torah. Why was Maras Machpelah first property of the Bnei Ches? 
כך שאברהם צריך לקנוס אותם מאדם על ידי זה בועס, הסופה בתורה. So that, אברהם would have to negotiate with him, which would add a whole section to the Torah. פרשה לימד כי חוקיך מסתי אברהם וכבוד. In fact, we'd not only learn a parasha about this particular story, but we'd learn the fundamental principle of how transactions take place out of this parasha. So, why do B'nai Ches have Maris HaMachpelah? So that they could have the opportunity to fulfill a role in Hashem's purpose by selling it to Avraham Avinu. And by doing so, they can add another whole section to Torah, including a, a, a whole halachic principle. But if they don't play ball, they don't recognize their role in all of this, then Avraham Avinu says, in that case, I'm just going to take it. Because Hashem's goal will be fulfilled, whether you're on board or not. And not only that, but If you don't fulfill the reason for which Hashem allowed you temporary control over Maris HaMachpelah, Well then, actually you've lost your rights to have it at all, because you only were given this land to facilitate my purpose, to buy it and make it into holy land, you're not part of that process. You no longer have any right to the land. I will take it from you. And this is Dafka related to Chayisara because it's because it's because of Sarah's avoid that Avram Avinu is able to do this. As the Pasuk alludes, so the Pasuk says that Avram Avinu comes from mourning Sarah and goes straight into the negotiation, implying that the coming from Sarah's mourning is what empowers him, and we'll speak about that more shortly. So now we see the theme. The theme is that everything is for the sake of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are an exclusive group. Represented by Yitzchak, Sarah recognizes that's so any time we see the exclusivity of the Jewish people, number one. Number two, we see that the whole world is designed in order to facilitate us doing what Hashem wants. That reinforces Sarah's purpose in this world. So now we'll see it right through the other stories too. And, and, if, and if you're not fulfilling that purpose, you don't deserve to exist. This theme that the whole world is here, including its inhabitants, just simply to service our avoider. You'll see it in a very stark manner in the story of Yitzchak, who is the first person born Jewish, in the story of his marriage. Because what happens with that? Firstly, we see that there's all these great miracles that happened to Eliezer, which he then repeated to Rivka's father and brother. As a result of them hearing all these miracles, even they, who were far from pious individuals, were willing to acknowledge that this is guided by Hashem's hand, and therefore, they therefore agreed to the Shidduch. Because that's what Hashem has told you to do. That highlights the point. Look, they, they, they recognize that things have been orchestrated. The world is being pushed in a particular direction to facilitate what Avram and Yitzchak need. And even Lavan and Basul can see that. And the moment they lose that sight, when Yishmuel wanted to interfere, not Yishmuel, Basuel wanted to interfere for a moment and perhaps um, scuttle the plans for the Shidduch, take him his battle of He immediately died. Why was Basuel created? So that there could be a Rivka. 
not only does the Torah remind us and highlight that Yishmuel is not a full son of Avram Avinu, but he's rather the child of a maidservant, which has a whole different and distant um, classification. Actually, the, the continuity, the longevity of Yishmael depends on him recognizing his place. Why? Right at the end of the story, it tells us that Yishmael collapses in front of all of his brothers. Omru Chazal, Chazal explain, the two psukim that are almost identical. The one talks about how, how Yishmol would, would dwell right across all his brothers. And the other one here in this parish is how he falls in front of his brothers. Says the Gemara, what does it mean? When Avram Avinu was alive, Yishmol dwelt. When Avram Avinu passed away, Yishmol collapsed. What does that mean? Let's understand this from a deeper perspective. We understand that what is considered Teshuva for Yishmol, the acknowledgement that I am not the heir, I'm just the son of the maidservant. That was a result of Avram Avinu petitioning on his behalf and saying, please let Yishmol live before you, which means let him live with fear of God. And Hashem answered that prayer. Hashem says, with regards to Yishmael, I've heard your request. So, this is what the Chazal are referring to when they say, as long as Avram Avinu was alive, Yishmael continued to, so to speak, dwell. After Avram passed on, then Yishmael collapsed. Meaning, it's not just a matter of whether Avram Avinu is living or not. As long as in Yishmael's life, Avram Avinu was still a live part of it, in other words, a motivation in his life, a guiding light in his life. Which means as long as Yishmael is plugged into Avram Avinu's request that Yishmael should live with Yiras Hashem. Which would consistently remind him of what his true self is, just the Ben Ha'ama, and don't interfere, if anything, support Yitzchak. Then, in that context, when he knows his place and he understands his purpose and how he should service Avram Avinu's goals, then he deserves to continue to live. But when Avram Avinu passes away, meaning to say he detaches, he loses sight of who he is, and he starts to feel that he deserves and he has rights and he should be a big deal, then he falls and collapses because he has no means of being able to continue. Now this theme that the existence of the entire world and all of its inhabitants is purely to support and assist the Jewish people, that's something that Sora epitomizes. 
which helps us appreciate why the theme of this parasha is Chaye Sara, because it's the life of Sara, the theme of the whole world and its inhabitants being there to service the Jewish people, which follows through in all of the stories in this parasha. As we already said before, Hashem Avram Hashem as we already identified, Avram Avinu was seen and given by Hashem the directive to be a father of many nations. That's that's Avram Avinu. He's supposed to is supposed to have an influence and, a, and and an impact on many many nations. Which means, because of the way in which Avram Avinu engaged with the world, he actually develops a relationship with other nations that are not necessarily Jewish. For which reason, because his job is also to facilitate and to be able to influence the rest of the world, it's near impossible that he would say, but the rest of the world has no value and, 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 and purpose of their own. Their value and purpose is defined by the connection to the Jewish nation and to Torah and to Hashem. He can't do that, right? It doesn't speak the same language. He can't reach out to everybody and be inclusive and at the same time say, yes, but you're nowhere near Yitzchak Masan. Where Sora is a, a name of royalty and, and power, jurisdiction. She is the one who has this influence over everybody else. So Sora is the one who creates consciousness in the rest of the world that the Jewish people are actually the ones who will define their reality and purpose. Which means that Sarah Imenu is the one who brings to the fore the notion that everybody else is there just to help us to succeed in our mission. Okay, so we've got a great explanation right now how Chaya Sarah could be the name of a parasha that seems to deal with things which initially we thought had nothing to do with Sarah's life and if anything were against what she stood for. Now we've seen actually this is exactly Sarah's life playing out. There's still a question. We have now illustrated effectively how every part of the parasha illustrates the primary theme of Sara Yimeinu, the primary avoid of Sara Yimeinu. But like it or not, we're talking about a timeline that is after Sara passes away. You still have the niggling question that how do you call this her life story if it's after her life? To which we'll answer that the main thrust of everything described in Chayisara, even though chronologically it happened after she passed away, he, are all the impact of the 127 years of her life's work. Her 127 years worth of input was that the world should recognize we're here for the sake of the Yidden. The only thing is, as long as Sari Mena was alive, you didn't yet get to see the impact on the world. She was doing her avoida, and we were not necessarily aware of it. And after she passed away, we become aware. It's quite similar to the idea that when an Ashama goes to Ganeidin, it enjoys the glimmer, the glow of the Divine Presence. 
Shaziv Ashkina, what is the glow of the divine presence? It's defined as Hainuziv Toyosim Vavidosim Mamish Oskabohen Boina Mazeh. It's actually the glow created by the work that a person did and by the Torah that they learned while alive. And a Shagilo Yadavu It's just that you don't see it while you're living. You don't do a mitzvah and suddenly feel that your, your whole body lights up. But when Mashiach, when you go to Ganeinen, you actually see what had been happening beneath the surface. Similar kind of principle over here. While Sarah Emanu is doing that void, we don't see it. After she passes away, we see it come to the fore. Because the ultimate purpose of all of our avoid is that you should actually see the effects. As once explained in, in, in great detail, when we talk about, you know, one day in Olam Habal there's going to be all this reward, it's not like you do work now. And then later, we give you some disassociated reward. It's that right now I'm doing a mitzvah, and right now it's having that impact, and in Olam Abba, I'll be able to detect what the impact was, what the purpose of the mitzvah was, what the achievement of the mitzvah was. So in a similar way, So therefore, when we talk in this parasha about these things that happened after Sarah passed away, it's the things of Sarah's life that actually happened while she was alive, and now we're starting to recognize and to see them. And that's going to teach us a lesson. Call in Everything in Torah is a personal lesson for us. Likewise, both the beginning and the end of the parasha carry very clear and relevant lessons for us. When the descendants of Yishmoel come and claim on the public stage, the world stage, that Maras HaMachpele is theirs, Biosim B'nei Avram, because they're descendants of Avram Avinu, Yesh B'yodeinu, Maine Borum Mipasha, saying we have a rejoiner straight out of our parasha. Noisef Alzeh, Shiruba Mamachriya, Shalarvim, Animsomi, Medina, Sashcheno, Sleeret, Sobe, Uveret, Sol, Atzma, Bechebren, Chulei, Heim, Kimifursum, Loimi, Zera, Yishmol. First of all, the immediate neighbors of Israel, and certainly the Arabs living within Israel, are by and large not biological descendants of Yishmol. First of all. Even if they were, in a gamli Yishmol atzmoi in kol shaychus and maras machpela, Yishmol has no personal claim on maras machpela. Sorry, it's maras machpela kon Avram avur kavura sora. Avram Avinu bought maras machpela for who? For Sora. Avilu Yishmol kamer in a yosher shal Avram. Yishmol's got no no link to that, and he has no link to Avram Avinu because legally he is the son of a maid servant, which has no legal claim on any of the inheritance. O bevada lo yishes Sora. He's certainly not Sora's son. And so therefore we know clearly that Avraham Avinu bought this for who? Not for himself, he bought it for Sarah. Who's the descendant of Sarah? Is Yitzchak? Who's the descendants of Yitzchak? Yaakov, that's why it says, Ki be Yitzchak, loy kol Yitzchak. Not all of Yitzchak's descendants because Esau is excluded. So it's Tafka to Yaakov. So it's ours. And then you get to the end of the parasha and the lesson is even greater. What happens if one day Yishma becomes a wild man? And he comes with the most incredible and, and actually mind-boggling arguments against us. We should not be afraid. 
And so I'm going to ask you it's our duty to remind Yishmael who he is, where he comes from, that he is a descendant of the maidservant. And remind them that the minute you claim some level of independence and some level of greatness that is not deserved, that's when you fall. And the good news is that the world at large does believe in Scripture. Which means that when we have the clarity we need to have on these subjects, and then and we'll be able to find a way to communicate this effectively to the rest of the world. Clear words, but not said in an abrasive fashion. And certainly not to become uh, despondent or self-conscious in front of the rest of the world. And certainly not in any way to lose our dignity or our sense of confidence in front of those who claim that they are the lineage of Yishmael. If we do it right, then the pressure will, 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 will uh, subside because those who are honest will also come to recognize and understand and even if they don't understand it at some deeper subconscious level they understand it that it is in their interest that and by extension the entire integrity of the borders of Israel needs to be ours. It's not just in our interest, but it's just as much in their interest.